Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's uh, getting better and better. Not, not uh, just musically, but spiritually, which is the most important thing. If you want to turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel. Daniel, if um, maybe you're unfamiliar, it's okay. Daniel's in the Old Testament. Psalms in your Bible is about halfway through. Um, and if you find Psalms, keep going right. You'll get into the what's called the major prophets. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Then you'll see Daniel. This is the same Daniel's the famous account of Daniel in the lion's den. And it is a amazing, he was an amazing guy. And had an amazing life, an amazing uh, book. The first half of Daniel, by the way, about seven chapters, the first half is um, more about chronological events, events that happened to him. Um, and then the second half of Daniel is prophetic, things that will happen in the end time. So oftentimes when you want to study end time events, you just go to Revelation, which is fine. But I encourage you also read the second half of Daniel and also read in Ezekiel. Those are the two Old Testament books that talk about end time events. We'll look at Daniel chapter 1. We're going to look at the whole chapter. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Israel or king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Sinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspenzim, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom endowed with knowledge understanding learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank they were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azrai of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azrahah he called Abednego. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. 
Therefore, the chief of the eunuchs allowed uh, to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned you your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the other youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my own head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and their wine to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them, look, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were brought in his kingdom, in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. That is true, that is unchanging, that is holy. Father, we pray that we would come to your word tonight, not that we may shape it into our image, but that your word to the Holy Spirit may shape us into your image. Father, let this lesson of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego open our hearts and our eyes and our spirit to realize this isn't an ancient text that took place in modern-day Iraq, but this has every implication for your people, those who follow you today, in 2015 in America and around the world. Open our hearts, Holy Spirit, we pray as we submit ourselves and our mind to you tonight. We love you and we thank you. We're nothing without you. We give this service to you. May you give me your words that they would be yours and not mine. Thank you. In the name of the eternal King Jesus Christ, amen. Daniel, again, as I said, is an incredibly fascinating book, fascinating guy. Can't wait to get to heaven and, and uh, talk with him. Um, interesting guy. And when you read about Daniel in the lion's den later on in Daniel, we think that he's a teenager. Really, he was in his 70s or 80s. An, an amazing, amazing story. But uh, anyway, Daniel, what we read here in the first half, uh, if you will, of this, there's kind of three sections, but from verses 1 through verse 7, what you have, and it tells us in verse 1, you have the king of Judah, and the king of Judah is there, and God sends Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a pagan, 
wicked king that doesn't acknowledge God, and we talked about him a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, he was so prideful and arrogant that God caused him to wander in the, in the field like a beast um, until he repented. But notice that God caused judgment, condemnation, uh, and destruction to come on Judah. Why? Because of their king. Their king wasn't following God, and, and most of the people of Judah weren't as well. So God causes their entire nation to be captured and to be hauled off in exile in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq uh, area. God causes that. It says in verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the vessels of the house of God, things that belong to the temple, things of worship that were consecrated, dedicated to God, are now being defiled into the storehouse of a false god. Well, it's not only that, but it's all of the people. It's all of the people of Judah, all of the Jewish people, all of the, uh, some of the people of Israel stayed behind, but all of the tribe of Judah um, are taken away. And the king, being a smart, relatively smart king, King Nebuchadnezzar, says, you know, what we ought to do is take the best of the best. So I want the, the tribe of Judah, I want the best of the best, the cream of the crop. I want people who are of nobility, people who are, have uh, royalty, people who are wise, I want them to come and serve in my administration. I want them to come and serve in government. I want them to come and uh, advise me in certain manners. Not a bad thing to do. But again, now we have a problem. That's the first seven verses. The second section or portion here, verses uh, 8 through 16, really deal with the problem is that of these people that are chosen, of these men, we don't know how many men, and, and I'm sure that there were some women, but uh, no doubt of the men that are mentioned, and I'm sure dozens and dozens, maybe even a hundred or so, we don't know how many, but of those that were brought out from the tribe of Judah to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's administration, of those, he says, um, you know, we want them to, to follow our way of living. In other words, we want to strip them of their Jewish identity, of their Jewish heritage, of their Jewish God, of the Hebrew language. We want to strip them of all of that, and we want to re-educate them to the way of the Chaldeans. And that's what you see here in uh, verse 4. Youths without blemish and good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace. Look at this. And to teach them literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them uh, his own food and drink. And look at this in verse 5. They were to be educated for three years and then stand before the king. So, a couple things going on. First, God's people, Israel, Judah, are in exile because of their own sin and the sin of their king. They're in exile in Babylon. They're not in their home. They're not in their synagogues. They don't get to worship in the temple. They're in exile. They're in Babylon, pagan place, horrific place, the worst place imaginable on the planet they could be. They're in Babylon. While they're in Babylon, these cream of the crop, those of nobility, the smartest of the smart, the most educated, wealthy, da 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 the best of the best are selected from Judah and they're going to undergo a re-education, a re-identification process. 
Nebuchadnezzar says, guys, uh, what you've been taught about uh, Judaism and the tribe of Judah and your history of your people from Abraham and the law of Moses, all that's well and good, but we're going to kind of dumb that down a little bit because that's nice, but that's not nearly as good as our education, the way of the Chaldeans. Our way is more civilized. Our way is more educated. Our way is better than what you have been raised to believe, you backcountry hicks in Judah. I mean, if you really want to get with the program, we're going to re-educate you, and you're going to learn our language, how we talk. You're going to read our books, how we think, and you're going to respond. You're going to eat the food that we drink, or the, the food that we eat and drink what we drink. But Daniel resolved, verse 8, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Now, here's, here's an interesting thing. Daniel, and, and, and again, notice this as well, at the end in verse 7, the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he gave Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. So, they're going to get re-educated. They're going to get new identities. Literally, in every sense of the word, they're getting new identities. They're going to, they're in exile. They go to a new place. They have to learn a new language. They have to learn new textbooks, new way of thinking about things. And not only that, they literally get new ID cards, a new driver's license. So your name, Daniel? No, no, no. No, if you call, no one's going to call you Daniel, and we don't want you to respond when you hear Daniel. You're going to respond to Belshazzar. That's our name. That's the Babylonian name. Your identity as a Jew is done. It's gone away with. You're no longer a Jew, Daniel. Now you're a Chaldean. Now you're a Babylonian. You're one of us now. Our way is better than your way anyway. Notice that. That's really important that you pick up on that. But again, Daniel resolved, verse 8, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine. Now, here's the thing. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm calling their, by their Babylonian names, but these four men, young men, by the way, had a choice. They could compromise or they could confront. They could compromise what they had been taught all of their life by their parents, by their moms and dads. They could compromise what they had learned about the Torah and the law of God and what they had learned in synagogue. And they could say, okay, you know what we are? Wow, Babylon is the most beautiful city in the, in the world at that time. It was as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I mean, a garden, floating garden in the desert, an amazing place. So, you know what? This place is better than where we came from in Judah. And so, we are going to follow your ways. And, and yeah, I kind of like my Babylonian name. Yeah, I didn't like Hebrew anyway. It was too confusing. And, and I like the language of the Chaldeans. I like your way of life better. And, you know, my way was, was good, but, but your way is just as good or better. So, I'm going to compromise what I have been taught, my ethics, my morals, my values. I will compromise so that I fit in. I don't want to ruffle feathers. I want people to like me. I'm in a new homeland. And hey, I'm going to be here a while. It's not like we're going to get delivered anytime soon. We're going to be here for at least 70 years. So, you know, why don't I just kind of go along to go along? I don't want to ruffle feathers. I want to make friends at my new place. So I'm going to give in. I'm going to compromise because I want to fit in. Daniel could have done that. Well, now how do you know? Because there's only four boys mentioned that didn't do that. The rest of them did, didn't they? 
The rest of these youths, these young men, and I'm assuming some women, but the rest of these young men did exactly that. They compromised. They were re-educated and given a new identity. And they went along with it. They compromised without a fuss. But Daniel and the other three Jewish boys, instead of compromise, they chose to confront. By the way, obviously, compromising is always the easier path in life. Compromising is always the easier way. Confronting is always the harder way. But Daniel, verse 8, would not defile himself. So he's not going to compromise like all of his other compadres, all of his other buddies. They compromise. Daniel and the three other boys say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to confront. Now, notice this. When they confront, they don't march in protest. They don't yell. They don't scream. They don't give big, long rants, you know, on the Internet. Um, they don't write things and they don't go on a hunger strike and they don't do things to draw attention to themselves. But they're not going to defile themselves. So Daniel and these, these other three guys realize that we don't want to defile God because should we rather bow our knee to King Nebuchadnezzar or to Yahweh, the God of the Bible? And they had that choice. All these young men had that choice. They could compromise and bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar or they could honor the living God of heaven, Yahweh. Daniel and three boys choose to honor Yahweh, the living God of heaven. Now that we've chosen this, we've chosen not to compromise but to confront, how are we going to confront? We're going to raise a ruckus? Are we going to protest? Or are we going to... How are we going to confront? So, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He doesn't do it in a violent way. He doesn't do it in a degrading way or demeaning way or a raucous way of look at us and, and how, dare we, we, how dare you even insinuate that we would do such a horrible thing. No, we're not going to do that. Come on. No, they simply asked the chief eunuch, look. And by the way, these four men were taking their lives in their own hands by this. Because the king could have easily said, listen, you don't want to eat, drink my wine and eat my food. Off with your head. You're out of here. I mean, that, that could have easily happened. Easily happened. And most likely would have happened, I believe. But God is making a point here. So, they're taking their lives in their own hand by confronting the king. But they do it in a, in a civil way. I believe they do it with much prayer. And they tell the chief eunuch, look, we, with our ethics, with our morals, with our religion how we were raised, there's certain foods we shouldn't eat, and the food that you want us to eat is what we're not supposed to eat, and the wine that you want us to drink is not what we're supposed to drink. And so, you know, would it be okay with you if we just ate, you know, vegetables and water? And the eunuch says, you know, I don't really care, but the thing is, I do care because uh, if I let you do that, you're going to look scrawny and wimp and weak, and then the king's going to get mad at me for letting you do this. So, and Daniel says, hey, how about we compromise here and, and just try it for 10 days? At the end of 10 days, if we are worse off, then okay, uh, we'll go from there. But if not, at the end of 10 days and we're looking better, then let us continue on. And so that's what happens. But how he confronts is not in a boisterous uh, way or a demeaning or degrading way to the chief eunuch, this Babylonian. It's in a civil, respectful way. But he says, hey, let's, let's do this test and so they have that test again, verses 8 through 16. For 10 days, all these other Jewish boys, hundreds of them, I'm sure, all the other Jewish boys, they eat the king's food, they drink the king's wine. And we're talking the best of the best food. 
at the end of 10 days, you know, I'm sure they look good, but for 10 days, all these boys have had, all these four boys have had is vegetables and water. And at the end of these 10 days, they are fatter physically. They look better than all these others. He said in verse 15, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youth who ate the king's food. So the steward said, fine, have it your way. And then in verse 17, God honors their decision to confront. Verse 17, for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, so this is at the end of three years, the chief of the eunuch brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like these four Jewish boys. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than everybody else in all of his kingdom. Amazing. You say, that's a great Old Testament story, Brian. What does it have to do with us today? Well, a couple of things. First of all, you have to understand, as we said, these first few verses, we see clearly God's people are in a foreign land and in a foreign culture, foreign society. The culture tries to re-educate and re-identify them, give them new identities. And what is happening happening today in many places in America, I think wholesale, is this exact thing. Christianity that was once in the 50s and 60s and up until mid-90s, early 2000s, was kind of the dominant norm of America. Obviously now that's dwindling rapidly. As Christians, we find ourselves just like Judah. Strangers in a foreign land. Christianity is in exile in America today. It is, period. This is only going to increase, I believe, until Christ returns. I hope that there's a great revival and and America does turn back to God. I I hope so. I don't know that that will happen. But you have to understand, you are just like these four boys young men. You are a stranger in a foreign land. Well, you know, Brian, that's getting a little extreme. Well, you know what? Paul tells us um, in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that preaching of Christ is foolishness to the unbeliever. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 that we are ambassadors of Christ in a foreign land. This home, is this place is not our home. Heaven is. We live in a culture and a society that is trying to redefine marriage, God-defined marriage. They can try all they want, but not going to change God's definition of it. So they've tried to redefine God's teaching. Wow, that's exactly what happened here, isn't it? Re-educate them. Give them new identities. And now we're seeing, even in, in people's, I don't even want to say sexual orientation, it's just it's crazy, you're male or female, period, but But don't we see this beginning to take place? Well, let's not use the word male and female. It's offensive. Let's re-educate our young people to have a new understanding of identity. In fact, you know, hey, your identity is not in male or female. 
Your identity, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is not as Jews. Your identity is what we tell you it is, and you're Babylonians, so get used to it. There are many Christians right now who are doing what the rest of the tribe of Judah was doing. Okay, sure, let's buy into it wholesale. Presbyterian Church, United States of America, PCUSA is one of them. I think Methodist is kind of heading in that direction, unfortunately. Instead, out of the potential hundreds of boys, young men, only four stood up. All of them compromised, but only four confronted. They said, you know, you can try to give us a different identity. And I love how the rest of, of Daniel, the rest of chapter 1, they never, they never go by the name uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They always go back to their Jewish name. Our identity is in Christ alone. My identity is not in a male. It's not as a husband. It's not as a father. It's not as a pastor. It's not as a leader. My identity is a sinner saved by the blood of Christ. Follower of Christ. Christ alone is my identity. Secondly and thirdly come being a male and being a husband and being a father and so on. But we live in a culture and a society that is trying to redefine. We talked about this earlier this afternoon. When life begins. Life doesn't begin until the baby comes out of the womb. Then life begins. And even then we're, we're not really sure. Trying to redefine terminology. And you say, well, it's just words. Words don't matter. Words matter. And we see this here, don't we? We see out of the, out of the hundreds that compromised, four stood up. Everybody else gets new identification. Uh, they get re-educated into the worldly system, the system of the Chaldeans, the system of, of the Babylonians. But four men say, we will not compromise. We will not change. We will hold fast. We will hold to the rock that we sang about earlier tonight of the Word of God. And we will not change and compromise. Make fun of us. Call us all kinds of names. Say what you want. But we will not compromise. Christian, you live in an America today where you're in a foreigner. You're in a foreign country in a foreign land. And your society is trying to re-educate you and re-identify you. But, number two, we have to have boldness not to compromise. I would just want to go back to Acts chapter 4, if you remember that, several months ago now. Um, it's become one of my favorite passages. But in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested for healing a man that had been there for, for 40 years at the temple gate. Beautiful. They were arrested for healing him and preaching Jesus Christ. At their trial, the religious court of the Jews tells them, we're going to let you go, but don't ever talk about Jesus again, ever. Don't ever mention the word Jesus or Messiah or cross or resurrection or any of that. Don't ever talk about him ever again. It's as if he never existed. And Peter and John, they don't say, okay, we don't want to have a lawsuit. We're afraid. All right, you got our attention, IRS. We won't say stuff that makes people upset. Well, we live in a politically correct world. We don't want to offend. Jesus didn't offend people. I mean, hey, we're supposed to be meek and loving and gentle and kind. And so, hey, we don't want to do this. So, okay, you're, you're right. We just won't talk about Jesus. We'll just keep it amongst ourselves. Absolutely not. 
Peter and John look at those guys, and I think in all kindness and in all sincerity, but in boldness, and that's what Scripture says in Acts chapter 4, in the boldness of the Holy Spirit, they look at them and they say, whether it is right for us to obey you or God, you must decide. But as for us, we cannot help but preach and proclaim what we have seen Christ crucified and risen. That needs to be the attitude of every Christian, every person who says, I'm a follower of Christ Boldness not to compromise. And third, we need to speak the truth in love and in kindness. Now with this said, there are some of us, and just to be totally transparent, I might be in this camp at times because I get so passionate. But there are some of us who say, I will not compromise. And, and, and our speaking because of our passion for speaking the truth in love, it almost comes off as, as anger. And, uh, and we push people away, and, and that's not what we see happening. No, we should not compromise, but we should speak the truth in love and in kindness as Christ did. Christ never spoke the truth in love, neither did, did Paul or the disciples or anywhere in Scripture or Daniel and the, and the other three young men in this passage. They didn't do it hatefully. They didn't do it demeaning. They didn't do it in a derogatory way of, you're less than a, than a human being, and how dare you do this, and, and so on. No, they stood firm. They were steel covered in velvet. I love that phrase. I'd love to get that and put it in my office somewhere. Have a piece of steel, a steel bar wrapped in velvet, that we're going to be firm, we're going to be resolved, we're not going to compromise the truth of Scripture. Culture can say what it wants. American society can say what it wants. They can change the definition of everything in Webster's Dictionary that they want. They can say America wasn't founded on Judeo-Christian values. They can say that Christianity is, is old and, and going out of touch. And by the way, if you, if you study American Christianity, you know that this same thing happened in the early 1920s and 1930s. Liberal theology was born and a lot of uh, well established seminaries turned liberal and that's where they're at today and that's where evangelical Christianity was born of those who said just like these four men men of God we're not going to compromise we're going to stand true to God's word we're going to be firm we're going to confront but we're going to do it in kindness and in love I believe God is not looking for people like the rest of these young men and some young women I'm sure to compromise in these last days I almost know for a fact God is looking for people who will stand firm who will not compromise and who will confront speak the truth in love here's the thing I and by the way I, I'd love to claim originality in this thought and it's not this is a a quote that I heard in, in an article by Russell Moore who's president of the religious um, liberty and ethics committee for the Southern Baptist and beautiful quote that talking about American culture and society today is looking instead of back in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, large segments, if not the whole segment of American culture, widely accepted and embraced Christianity, right? I mean, you guys know that. Accepted Christianity. Today, it's hostile towards Christianity. I mean, that's just, that's a fact. There's no real argument there. It's hostile. So instead of embracing, now it's hostile. It's being ostracized. There are some Christians, and we talked about it earlier, just like we see here in Daniel, who are saying, oh, okay, well, in order to win people, we have to compromise what Scripture says, and then if we compromise, then they might come over to Christianity. That has never worked and never will work. 
Because the reality is when you say to people, well, I believe the Bible says quite clearly that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And they say, oh, that's crazy. Oh, come on. That's from the 1800s. You know, that's, that's so old-fashioned. I mean, come on. We have to be more modern than that. We have to be more accepting than that. Well, hey, listen, as a Christian, if you think that's crazy that I believe marriage is between one man and one woman, you're going to really think this is crazy because here's what I believe as well. I believe that the Savior that I love and worship said, unless I drink his blood and eat his flesh, I have no part with him. So that's, that's, you know, that's crazy. And if that's not enough to scare you and think that Christianity is crazy, here's another thing. I also believe, and I know this is getting really out there, but I believe that this, that this dead man who, who you know, rose again, supposedly, as you might think, that someday, very soon, is going to return on a white horse. That's what I believe. And I, I don't have any scientific pro- point to prove that. I can't prove that by, by logic. I can't prove that by persuasive speech. All I can say is, it's what's written in Scripture, and I believe it in my life. So, you know... Marriage being one man and one woman, I mean, that's the tip of the iceberg. You really get into some stuff that's in here. It is crazy. I also believe that no matter what you've done in your life, no matter what, no matter how evil, no matter how wicked, no matter how vile, God loves you, God has a plan for your life, and only God can forgive you and give you hope. I believe that too. I also believe that I'm not better than you. I believe that I'm not better off or, or that I'm, you know, more loved or, or, or a better person. I believe the difference is my sin has been covered by Christ, has been taken away by Christ. The difference really, if I could just be honest and and say in love between me and you, is that I've admitted I've failed in life. I've admitted that I cannot be captain of my own life. I've admitted that I cannot steer my own career. I cannot steer my own family. I cannot steer my own finances. That I was never meant to be in the driver's seat of my life. I've admitted that. And since I've admitted that, I've had more joy, I've had more peace, and more love than I could ever explain. Because it's Christ that sits in the driver's seat of my life. That's That's the main difference. In the 1920s, Society told Christianity, you've got to get rid of this virgin birth stuff. I mean, that's, that's, that's science fiction. There's no way people will accept that. And if you as Christianity would, would adopt that and, and kind of do away with the virgin birth, people might accept Christianity. That liberal theology. And out of that was birthed fundamentalism, which is today evangelicalism. The question is, will you confront or compromise You're a foreigner in a foreign land attempting to be re-educated, have a new identity and a new culture. I declare, Scripture tells us not to compromise but to confront. But the caveat is to confront in truth and kindness and in love. That's what we see here in Daniel. Hundreds of young men and and I'm, I'm assuming some women compromise and said, yep, we'll eat your food, king. We'll drink your wine. We'll, we'll learn your language. We'll do whatever you want. We're in a foreign land anyway. We might as well adapt to survive, right? But only four stood up and said no. And at the end of the day, at the end of three years, it was those four who were ten times more blessed, ten times more educated, 
than all the other men. And not only the other, the other Jews, but the other Babylonians, it says as well. Because, again, verse 28, And in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. You want God's favor? You want God's blessing in your life? Learn to stand up. Learn to be bold through the power of the Holy Spirit and not compromise. But do it in love and in kindness. And I'm preaching to myself maybe more than anyone. Let's pray. Father, we so passionately love your word. It gives us life. Your word, as David said, is a lamp to our feet, meaning that we are living in a dark place. And it's only your word that illuminates our path, gives us direction, shows us where we should go next. Father, it says in your word that you make the crooked path straight. You make the hills melt like wax. You raise the valleys up. Father, we live in a culture and society that is full of mountains and valleys and crooked paths, and it's getting worse by the day. But Lord, let us be ever reminded that we have the straight path. It's a narrow path, the path of Christ. And through the illumination of your word, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we know what to do. We know how to step. We know what to say. We know how to act. Help us, Father, not to compromise as other Christians today are doing, unfortunately. We don't call them out to belittle them or put them down. We call them out as concerned brothers and sisters in Christ. But, Lord, we see Daniel chapter 1 that happened thousands and thousands of years ago happen all over again, and we're seeing it every day. We're not just seeing it, we're living it. It's happening all around us. Help us, Father, to not be like all the other young men and women and just kind of go along. Well, we're strangers in a strange land and a new culture, so we'll re-identify ourselves to fit in. We don't want to ruffle feathers. We don't want to make anybody uncomfortable or offend anyone or be politically incorrect. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. No. Father, help us to bow our knee, not to the king of Americanism or American um, culture or society, but to bow our knee and our hearts to Christ alone. Father, help us to be like these four godly Jewish men who took a major risk. Literally, they took the life in their own hands by choosing not to compromise and choosing to confront. Everybody else compromised, they confronted it was more valuable to them to honor you than to honor secular society and culture. It was more valuable for them to stand up for your truth than to blend in with society. Let us be of the same substance that these men of God were. And Father, at the end of the day, there's not a doubt in my mind, at the end of the day, the end of maybe a three-year period or a five-month period or a two-week period or a ten-year period, whatever the case is, at the end of the day, I firmly believe that it will be said of us who choose to follow you and not society, it will be said of us they were ten times more blessed, they were ten times more wise than not just other people,
but of all the people in the land. We don't do that arrogantly or, or braggingly or, or look at us. No. We do it to say, hey, we wanted to honor our God. We wanted to honor Him more than anything else. And we are blessed today ten times more than all of you, not because we're smarter or better, but because we honor God. And that same God that has blessed us longs and desires to bless you in the same way. You want to be blessed like I am? Follow Christ. Father, help us to speak the truth in love and in kindness as you did. Help us not to compromise, but to stand up boldly for your truth and for your word. Let us not protest. Let us not rally and make a ruckus. And, and No, not like they did. And Let us be like these four men. Not compromise, but be firm. Father, help us to stand up for your truth in love and in kindness. We love you and we thank you. Holy Spirit, may you continue to work in our heart tonight that your word will be planted firmly in our heart and that tomorrow and Friday and Saturday and even on Sunday, that this message tonight, not my words, but Daniel chapter 1, would continue to permeate, continue to work in our heart and in our spirit. That when we read Daniel 1, we would see ourselves. We would see our communities, our cities, our neighborhoods, our culture. And the path is so clear before us. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.